Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to talk about the logistics of customer experience with my friend, Scott Perry. How's it going there, Scott? Going well. Going well, Joe. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Scott, please introduce yourself and your company. Happy to do so. My name is Scott Perry. I am the president of Suddits Moving and Logistics Business. And where are you guys based? We are based in Jacksonville, Florida. Nice. Is it warm enough down there in Florida this time of year? <laughs> it's, uh, we're reaching that point of moving beyond the Chamber of Commerce days to the miserable humidity days. <laughs> yeah, you guys win. You guys win the winter time, but uh, you lose summer. <laughs> but we lose winter so badly that I still think Florida has the edge over us Midwesterners. But anyway, tell us a little bit more about Sadith Company. Yeah, the Suttis companies, it's a, it's a portfolio of organizations that operate under the Suttis brand. We're focused on global relocation and mobility services. We also have a very deep legacy in household goods moving, which is really the origins of the organization. We play very heavily in the logistics space, and that represents a number of different products and services. We're a major provider in the military move management segment or, or industry. So we partner with Department of Defense for moving military members, not only domestically, but internationally as well. So that's a significant portion of our business. And that logistics portfolio extends well into uh, dedicated logistics services as far as on-site warehousing, production management, we have a commercial services product line, which is very workplace-based. We'll have teams that are on-site at major tech campuses and employer campuses supporting the logistics of moving their employees around their organization as efficiently as possible. We are very heavily invested in the, the contract logistics and warehousing space, international freight forwarding, local, interstate, international moving. It's a very, very dynamic business, so no two days are the same. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Haley, your marketing person, yesterday, and she mentioned you guys do help people move homes. You help soldiers and uh, government people move back and forth overseas. And I was thinking, oh, that's not related to what we do, what I normally do on this podcast. But then it kind of hit me like we're talking now more and more about customer experience. And we're talking about, and we're going to talk about that today, and we're talking more and more about customer delight and you know, how do I make this customer really enjoy the, the experience of buying from my customer? And well, there's n almost no nothing more emotional than moving, especially now when you when you, <laughs> you paid twenty percent more for the house than it would have been last year. And so it does matter to me that you have that experience because you've had to live with probably very emotional people for many years on the moving side. Absolutely, you know that customer segment and consumer segment is generally triggered by a very big decision in their life. The reason they're moving are, are typically driven by things of a change in job, a change in maybe marital status, a change in the size of their family, 
or other extenuating circumstances, and they're usually all very emotionally driven. So not only are you dealing with a significant change in where they live and the home that maybe they have been in for a long time or, or moving to a new opportunity, but the circumstances around why they're moving are extremely emotional as well. So it's very, very enlightening working with those customers. Right. And on the business side, transportation logistics business, I think for so long, we've always said, well, drivers do what they do and shippers do what they do. And we never really paid close attention to the emotions of it. And now I think in the last five, 10 years, we've talked about, I know I talk to trucking companies and say, hey, we fire customers all the time. They cannot yell at our customer service people. They can't abuse our drivers. If you make us wait too long, we aren't going to come to your facility to pick up anymore. And I was like, oh, that's kind of new. And I think also now as we're delivering to homes more and more with uh, e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, we now recognize that we have to treat those people. And that can't be the industrial experience. That has to be a customer experience just like Amazon delivers. So we have kind of emerged. And I think also in this last year when we all of a sudden were working all by Zoom, <laughs> You started seeing people in a different environment, their home, where they could hear the kid crying and the cat walking across the screen. <laughs> so we've, we've changed. <laughs> well, yeah, that's very much the case. And that uh, dynamic of home delivery you know, is very different, many different shapes and sizes of delivering to the front door to a drop box for your Amazon package or putting it on the doorstop is one thing. Crossing the threshold into the home and delivering goods into the home, whether it's big and bulky or furniture or appliances and performing installation services, which we do at a very high volume every year. That's a different level of scrutiny, a different level of emotion. And one of our team leaders loves to say, you can be Santa Claus every day because that person needs the service and the product that you're, that you're delivering. So take advantage of that and do it right. Don't ruin their Christmas. It, it, it's interesting though, and I've always said this on this podcast is, when you're delivering to a home, you're not delivering to a professional receiver. They are not a doc, right? You might be delivering to someone like me. Somebody knocked on my door while we were prepping for this. And I thought, I don't know who that is, but I'm not answering. <laughs> right? They should have called ahead. I'm not expecting anybody. I'm not expecting anything. And I also think you're delivering to homes where you say, especially during COVID, it's scary times, right? So Anyway, before we get into the topic here, the logistics of customer experience, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? By the way, we can't go through all your education. I just looked on your LinkedIn profile. It looks like there's like 10 places you went to school. But give us the, the brief version of where you went to school. Then give us some career highlights before you joined Suddeth. I'll do that. I am a lifelong learner, so thanks for calling that out. But I grew up in Alabama and spent my formative years there, but have transitioned from there and lived all around the Southeast and a number of different states and, and marketplaces have, from an education standpoint, to your point, highlights are MBA from the University of Tennessee, went back later in life and earned a, a master's in sustainability because that was a personal passion for me and applied to a lot of things I was working on in my professional life at the same time. So made that investment and, and really enjoyed that. And then from a professional standpoint and, and where I've been, I've been in the industry for 30 plus years from a logistics supply chain management standpoint. Uh, I spent more than 25 of those years with a very large Fortune 500 company. And many of those years were spent in their corporate environment as a chief procurement officer, chief technology officer, 
got to do some really cool programs and projects and focus on leading edge development of technology out there. So that's been, that was a lot of fun. Spent a little time in the, uh, the technology startup space and then have been here at Sudis for going on five years. Right. So you've worked with one of the largest logistics companies around there, around these parts. And what drew you to Sudis? I think it's the fact that they've got a great culture, a great environment. It's a privately held, family-owned business. Family is still somewhat involved, but they turned the business over to a professional management team a number of years ago. And they have a very strong reputation. They have a significant amount of tenure. When people come here, they stay here. They like the environment. It's an organization that has reinvented itself a number of times over, you know, really recognizing what's going on out in the marketplace, what customers are asking for, developing solutions around that. We create a lot of new products and services. It's strongly encouraged. It's not a bad thing for you to try something and fail. We experiment with those products and services. So that's the type of environment that at this stage in my career, having that type of environment to work in and that culture to, to thrive in means a lot to me. Nice, nice. So let's get into the topic today, which is the logistics of customer experience with Scott Perry. So when we were prepping, we talked about some aspects of how do you create this great customer experience? Because that is seems to be the big thing. I was just on Accenture's website yesterday looking at what they're talking about, the customer experience. And I was talking about my own career. So much of my career was in automotive where we talked about lean, which lean is always reducing waste, reducing waste, which, by the way, that's move over to supply chain and logistics. Same thing. Reduce waste, reduce waste. How do we do it faster, better, cheaper, faster, better, cheaper? But what we never really fully focused on in automotive until probably the last 10 years and probably not into this business until the last, I'd say, five years is this experience that customers are increasingly expecting. Amazon has raised the bar. And then it's not just Amazon. Everybody's kind of going for this customer delight. So it's not enough to say we're really lean. I did that cheaper than my competition. In a lot of ways, it's I'd better put it, <laughs> that little piece of chocolate on their pillow at night. Otherwise, they're not going to come back. And I think about that every time I go to a hotel for travel, which has been a while. They go over the top now. Like, Would you like bottled water? Would you like this? Would you like that? People are always knocking on your door. We have the same expectations in our business, and I don't think we were ready for it. <laughs> I don't think you're ever ready for it. So to talk about what is the first thing that people expect when they talk about that customer experience. You know, it's honesty, setting the correct expectations up front. That's always a given and, and being transparent around the reality of the service that's going to be delivered. So I think that expectation, you called it out a moment ago with that consumer in the residence not really knowing what to expect. They're not professional receivers, but we have customers who employ our services because they're trying to satisfy their internal customers, their employees. They're, they're leveraging our capabilities because they're focused on the employee experience. So that becomes an extension of the product and service that we're providing to help support that, to make sure they're getting high retention rates, high engagement rates. So that's one part of the equation for us in the service model that we deliver. From a logistics standpoint, you know, the technology that we deploy from a visibility standpoint, we invest heavily in not only tier one systems, but we also have a number of proprietary systems that we have developed 
that complement those so that we're providing an extremely high level of visibility and transparency to those customers. What do you mean by Tier 1? The Tier 1 WMS systems. We're an asset-based company. We have a number of operating facilities and giving customers that ability to place product in multiple sites and have one system of truth, one record of truth, and a platform that will enable them to do that in real time is extremely valuable. Right. So you have the technology that you need to get, the, the, and you know, you think about the Amazon experience and that always seems to be the bar that customers go, hey, on the consumer side at, at home, I'm used to the Amazon experience. I love them, by the way. I always buy from them. And I love the idea that I get a message on my phone, stuff's delivering to your house. So you need the technology. But one of the things that I think we've overestimated what technology can do. I think it's it's great. You need it. I, I don't think there's any way to say I'm delivering the right customer experience without the technology, but it's not enough. And I, I look at Amazon, for example. So if you would have t- told me 10 years ago that Amazon was going to go beyond technology and start opening fulfillment centers, I'd be like, why would they open fulfillment centers? That That's hard work. They're tech guys. Why would they do that? And then at some point own a whole bunch of trucks and then home delivery vehicles be like, no, they're going to manage that. That's the hard work. They did that for a reason. I think what they saw is probably the same thing you guys saw, which is you have to go more than the technology because you have to control, to control the experience. You have to have a little more than just tech. So I'll speak to that enough of my blather. <laughs> no, it, it's absolutely the case. It's those resources that are the most important piece of the equation. The technology gives visibility, but visibility to what? And the, the people that are behind that are instrumental. And having those resources focused on what that customer expectation is and how we deliver to that and how we provide that visibility is extremely important. So the people side of the equation is a huge component of how we execute and go to market. And if we don't have them fully engaged, then the the technology will will give visibility to a really, really poor experience. Right. And I think when we were prepping, you talked about how important the whole health and safety aspect is over at Sutteth. And I appreciate that because if you can't treat your employees right, if you can't have people loyal to your company and no one's going to be loyal if somebody's going leaving the building in an ambulance every week right there's no loyalty to that company trust me you can't pay people enough to be injured and i think there's another aspect i think that when you're talking about warehouse work or fulfillment work or transportation we've all seen people who don't feel appreciated in that space and they leave and we have to create that into knowledge work. We have to create knowledge workers. We have to say, hey, you're part of the supply chain and there's opportunities here. Not that this is a dead end job and you'd just be just as just as just as good going out and digging ditches. It's an extremely important component. Even for us, it's one of our core values. And I tie it back to the core value of caring. And as a family owned, privately held organization with a significant amount of tenure. It is absolutely looked at as our teammates and our associates are an extension of the family. And we can't continue to take care of the family and grow the family if we're not taking care of our customers and providing a high level of service. That high level of service ties back to the quality levels that we're delivering to them. But for us, the quality can't be delivered if we're not starting every day with a focus on our safety and on our people and keeping them in the highest degree or or standard of well-being and making sure that they're coming to the job focused, 
There's plenty of distractions going on around us these days, making sure that they're coming to the workplace, that they're focused, they're fit for duty. And that means a lot of things and that we're returning them to their home at the end of every day in the same or better condition than they showed up. Right. If you're going to, you have a whole bunch of warehouse facilities, fulfillment centers. We have 35 operating locations around the country. Yes. And I, I'm already telling you something you already know, but there's a lot of opportunity right now. There's a labor shortage in many places. And um, I've always said, if I can go into a warehouse facility or fulfillment center and feel like, hey, this is a really good step. I'm part of the supply chain and I'm learning this business. And it's sort of, I'm using scanners and I'm using some automation and I'm feeling like I'm part of a team and there's opportunities for advancement. That's one thing. But there's a lot of a lot of warehouse work that's kind of not that. It feels like it's I'm just a strong back to move stuff. And by the way, my back's not strong enough anymore. <laughs> but I think that if given the choice, I would go deliver food. I'll go work for DoorDash. I'll go work for Instacart or Shipped. If you if I don't have a good job in a warehouse, I would rather deliver food. Probably better gig. If you're going to say it's dead end, I'll be a gig economy worker. It's easier. So I think you have to create that job that feels like I'm a knowledge worker, I'm a supply chain guy. I got opportunities here. Yeah, we made an investment in 2019, a significant investment, and it was a journey of probably 30 weeks with a number of resources that we had dedicated to this. But we achieved our, our ISO 9001 certification for our, for our logistics business. And that was a commitment that we made prior to that year, made sure we had the resources lined up. But 9001 is essentially a certification around customer service. And we achieved that across our, our entire logistics organization and certified that and, and achieved a significant score on that initial certification. That's the basis for our environmental health and safety program. It ties back to how are we preparing those employees to perform that level of service? And it's all the way down to the very smallest detail as far as each task that's being performed. And it's the why. Why are you performing this task? Why is this important to the next step into the equation? And are we giving you the tools and the instruction and the training to be able to do it at that level of quality that we're committing out there to our customers? And we constantly check that doing performance compliance checks and things of that nature, but also continuing to evolve it as our customers are evolving. And that's a, it's a key building block for us. And it's really been foundational. Yep. I went to a conference years ago and it was a retail, retail conference. And um, some consultant got up and said, how many of you value customer service? Of course, everybody raised their hand. Oh, I do. I value, we really value it. And, and then the next question was how many hours a week do you spend with your lowest level retail employees and and no there wasn't just kind of silence for a minute and he goes i bet the majority of you ceos presidents whatever that was spend very little time with your front line employees and they're the ones creating the customer experience and to your point if they aren't in the right mindset because they're not being treated right or there's injuries in the facility they aren't going to treat anybody right you don't treat them right they don't treat your customer, right? Now you're absolutely correct. And that's been, that's probably been the biggest challenge over the past year with us trying to protect the workplace and the workforce due to the pandemic. It's limited a lot of those interactions of being there front and center with them face to face and getting that feedback. So we've had to amp up our communication and our mechanisms for them communicating with us virtually using think tools like pigeonhole surveys and things of that nature 
increasing the number of town halls that we're performing virtually. The local leaders are very much engaged in that communication day to day, but it's important for us from a leadership standpoint to uh, communicate with them and be transparent around what's going on within the business and what investments we're making and, and frankly, what investments we may not be able to make because of some of the constraints during the pandemic and understand why those decisions are being made. But that transparency has been key and our level of engagement has gone up substantially during this period of time, which has been really, really encouraging. Cool. That's excellent. So we're talking about the logistics of customer experience. So we talked about a few things. So first off, it's got to be in with technology. We all expect technology as part of that experience. The second, again, is this idea of people. You got to treat your people right. So without those people, there's to your point there, what are you getting visibility on what? (laughs) So technology people, what's another thing that you guys focus on to make sure that we're getting the right experience for the customer? I think it's resources. I mentioned earlier, we're we're an asset-based organization. We've made a significant investment in our footprint, our facilities, and and making sure that we're in the right markets for our primary customers. And that's a significant investment, but that is a key to our ability to deliver on those commitments that we make. And those resources go beyond just the facilities. We do have rolling stock and assets that are out there on the road every day. And that's a significant piece of our delivery mechanism. We do complement that with contractors and van operators, and they're an extremely important extension of the team. They're a dedicated relationship to us. I mean, many of those have been with us for years, if not 10 or 20 plus years, which kind of speaks to the relationship that we have with them. So it it takes a combination of both that employee-based solution complemented by a contractor-based solution. And it works very well for us because we do look at it through the lens of they are critical to us being in front of our customers and delivering on those promises that we're making. So it's the the combination of all those things. Right. So when you say resources, so you have warehousing and fulfillment centers. Now, do you, are those to support to retail locations or delivering to homes or both? It's a mix. You know, many of our facilities are, are multi-product line facilities, multi-client, absolutely. So it varies by market. We do have some markets where it is absolutely a, a dedicated single single customer operation, but most of them are multi-client, multi-product line where we're able to leverage the synergies of the technology, of the resource teams. It's also a bit of a developmental path for our managers getting exposed to those different product lines. It's a career path for our frontline employees as well of being able to progress up from being a warehouse associate, working as that labor that you referenced earlier, that are they're unloading trucks. And we even take a little bit of a, a different approach to it of one of the ultimate victories out in our marketplace or, or within our employee group is someone that started there and they worked their way up to being their own independent business. They're their own independent business owner. Right. Well, and I think what that's so important these days to be able to show a career path, because especially if somebody didn't go to college and they said, I still want to have a a good career just because I didn't go to college. I didn't plan on being destitute. If you can say, hey, this guy started our warehouse, you know, moved into trucking and now owner operator working with us or whatever the career path looks like. That's the success story that everyone else can look to also. It is. And then you have those employees or those fan operators, owner operators that are referring the next generation of employees that we're bringing in. It is a bit self-fulfilling. So you have to look at it from every angle. Where are your warehouses at? And they, they, what regions? Well, 
There's uh, the only region where we don't have a significant presence is really the Northeast. We're very strong in the Southeast, throughout Florida, Georgia, into the Carolinas. We're in Tennessee, heavy in Texas. Uh, through a recent acquisition, we even increased our footprint there in the Texas market. We're in Oklahoma, Minnesota, strong West Coast in, in California, Oregon, Washington State. So we've got the coast covered and now a very strong foothold in the center part of the country as well. Right. The reason I ask is, you know, with, when we talk about home delivery, same day, next day is becoming a big deal. It's hard to do same day, next day if you say, oh, we got one location in, in Florida, right? Or, hey, we, we, got, we got Texas covered on same day, next day. That's good. It's a good start. But your customers, I'm assuming, have pretty high standards for same day, next day. So you have to live with those. That is one of the highest growing segments of our business, the strategic element of our growth plan. And because of what's been occurring out there in the broader marketplace and our demands as consumers, it's created a significant amount of opportunity for companies that have the resources, are able to scale, and are able to deliver a consistent level of quality. There are absolutely retailers and commercial customers who are looking for companies to partner with. And, and it is a significant uh, piece of our business and where we're heavily focused on continuing to grow. Right. You mentioned that you've got a, your education and sustainability. And one of the things I feel like we're going to, before too long, say, yeah, I can deliver that tube of toothpaste to your porch today if you really, truly need it. But there is when they always say it's free, Amazon says it's free. Somebody's paying, either you're paying, you're subsidizing that through some other way of paying or some unhappy venture capitalist somewhere, right? There is, it's not free. And the impact to the environment isn't free either. So I do think before too long, we're going to ask consumers, I think as, I think we're going to see retailers ask consumers, do you really need same day, next day? Now, if you need it, you need it. But I think we should recognize there is an environmental cost. And increasingly your customers, the brands are saying, we want to be a company that's recognized for our sustainability. We can't be letting the logistics world over pollute <laughs> for same day, next day, if it's not necessary. Uh, we're seeing our commercial and corporate clients absolutely looking for new means of uh, identifying those areas where it's contributing to their, their, their carbon footprint and what are the things that they can do to be much smarter around how they're designing their, their logistics operations what role we can play in helping to offset that and mitigate that, or at least provide visibility to where those inefficiencies exist. And there are simple things that occur whenever you're talking about that, that order cycle and order practices of our facilities where we're focused now on orders being brought in. And we have some of our fulfillment operations for some of our single customers where we're processing six or 7,000 orders a day. Some that are a much smaller scale, but whenever you think about it in that volume, some of those orders are coming in throughout the day and they're going to the same client. Well, how do you consolidate that and, and, and move to an overpack type of operation? And instead of having five different shipments going to them, you have one. And what does that yield as opportunity for efficiency and, and reducing that impact? I think we're going to start seeing people, and I think this would benefit the brands to do it, and it would maybe benefit us logistics and transportation folks too, is to say there's a cost in carbon for these. So yeah, it was absolutely free for me to bring that to you. Not really free, but you're not paying, but there was a carbon price, whatever, whatever that costs. And I think we're going to start trying to convince consumers 
hey, let's let's not get carried away on the same day next day. If it's necessary, if you really need it or want it, yes, but recognize there's an impact. So it's interesting. I just had Brad Ganane from Freight Waves on my podcast. I haven't published that one yet, but I will this week. And they have a brand new tool over at Freight Waves on measuring carbon impact. And I think we're going to start seeing that more. I've always said to everybody, I'm a big scorecard guy. I like KPIs. And that means not measuring everything. It means measure only the most important things. Only the best metrics grow up to be KPI. So I want four or five KPIs. So I might want to measure the cost. I might want to measure on time, right? Damage, certain things. I think we need to all add one thing to our KPIs, which is what is the impact on the planet? Maybe it's carbon. I'm not sure whatever makes sense. Maybe it's empty miles. We track those anyway. If I could say that I had 10% less empty miles this year than last year, I've done a good thing for my bottom line, but I've also done a good thing for the environment. <laughs> well, I think that's probably that you hit on that the key thing is absolutely a driver of a sustainable business model equally to how it contributes to the sustainability from an environmental standpoint. So that efficiency goes hand in hand. And some of the things we do from a from a service standpoint, an execution standpoint, or efficiency standpoint, I shouldn't say efficient, the efficiency piece of it is what goes along with driving the sustainability. And sometimes they're absolutely working counter to each other. So how do we identify those opportunities to have them work hand in hand and benefit everyone involved? And, and there's clearly markets that we operate in today that you are going to be punished for not thinking about it in that manner. Your cost of operation are going to go up substantially if you're not developing solutions to mitigate that risk. Right. And I say this on my podcast all the time. It's just a matter of time before one of your customers, a big brand says, hey, our customers, the end consumer wants a more sustainable product. We're advertising that. We're making moves within our supply chain. What are you doing? <laughs> and and if you don't already have made that move towards something more sustainable, some some measurement, it's too late. It's hard to add that to the PowerPoint slide if you haven't done anything. <laughs> so we're trying to deliver this superior customer experience. And you said we need technology. We need people. We need to treat those people right. And we need resources. We need trucks and warehouses and all that stuff. So, well, that allows us to control that experience a little bit. So what else do we need besides those things? I think the culture of the organization is going to be really the icing on top. What's the organization stand for in the communities in which they operate? How does that translate down through their employees? How is that uh, behavior uh, mimicked by their uh, by their leadership, their executive team from the top down? So it's got to be driven from what's happening at the core of our business with our frontline employees all the way up through how we're demonstrating that corporately and, and in the boardroom and in those PowerPoint presentations. So, you know, the culture is a, is a big, big piece of uh, that overall equation whenever you're thinking about pulling all those other things together. At the end of the day, you can't do it if you don't have a commitment from everyone involved. This is how we're going to go to market and operate as a, as a combined organization through our culture. Right. It's interesting when we watch football, and hopefully we'll watch it in person this year, uh, when we watch football or baseball or uh, we all talk about, well, the culture of that organization. And we recognize that if that team isn't all pulling together, if the things aren't right in the locker room, they won't be okay on the field. And I think whether you're a church or a country or a sports team or a business, if your culture is not right, 
it just doesn't work. It's just, it's a problem that you can't get over. And it doesn't take it, you know, it's a never ending battle either. You know, I always say the same thing. You get a culture whether you work on it or not. <laughs> so you better work on it <laughs> because the one you'll get unintentionally is not the one you want. <laughs> no, that's absolutely the case. And it is, uh, you know, extremely important in this day and age when there's so many options that exist out there. The environment for, Hiring right now is probably higher than it's been in the in the past five years, and our employees have options, and they stay because they believe in the organization, they believe in the culture, they want to contribute in where we're going as an organization, and, and they feel highly engaged, and that's something that doesn't happen by accident. Right, and I think I'm on the tail end of the baby boomer, and when we came into the workforce, nobody particularly said anything like, hey, do you like working here? And it was just like, hey, you, you got a job, consider yourself lucky. But my, I've evolved over time. I don't want to work with people I don't like. I don't want to work with people who don't have the right ethics. I don't want to work with the right people who have the wrong culture. I don't like working with anybody who's abusive. And it's funny because some people, especially old school people, they, they think that, oh, I can yell at this guy. And I was thinking, no, you can't yell at people. You can't get away with all that. What used to be very common we now look at it as just really destructive. And younger people, I have two daughters, they won't work at a company that is and not, does not align to their values. So you have to have that culture fit. And we've seen it. You see companies like Chick-fil-A that they've just done really well. God, I know people are against, some people are against them, but they created this culture that people love working there. And we've seen other companies, I won't mention, that have created the wrong culture. People don't want to work there. It doesn't matter how big your network is, doesn't matter how much you spend on marketing or branding, if you don't have the right culture, you are not going to succeed. Yeah. And again, especially now when we have a labor shortage, you can't convince somebody, oh yeah, you're lucky to have a job. No, I'm not lucky to have a job. I go anywhere I want. <laughs> so we talk about technology, people, resources, culture, anything else that you need to have to deliver on that customer experience. I think uh, resilience, you know, we talked a little bit about that, the resilience piece of it, because you're not always going to get it right. And we don't operate in a vacuum. And there are a lot of things that go on around us that we didn't contemplate when you're putting the business plan together. And I think the pandemic really showed all of us that no one anticipated their business being turned upside down and employees working from home and having to make that transition to, to virtual work. For those that could, you know, it was very, very challenging to deliver in the logistics space where you have to touch products and it's the movement of goods and that doesn't occur from being able to sit at home and work behind a computer. So, you know, we were very, very fortunate that we managed through it with our business continuity plans. We never shut down a single operation. We maintain continuous operations for our customers because they rely on us to be an extension of their supply chain to their customers. So we navigated through that very, very well. But you know, it showed us that we are a very resilient organization. The culture was very a very critical piece of it. You know, the training that we had done, the investments that we had made in our environmental health and safety programs prior to the pandemic hitting the, the country or the world was extremely important. But you know, we've been living off of that goodwill that was generated over the years leading up to it. Now it's time to start reinvesting in that good, building that goodwill bank back up again, because having the team together, building that team and unity and continuing to contribute to that cultural foundation for us is, is extremely important. Right. And I think 
you know, when we talk about resilience, we've all seen it. We've needed it this last year. And I think for a long time, um, again, I'll speak for the automotive supply chain, which is very similar to others. We really, for a long time, focused on efficiency. How do I get leaner? How do I get cheaper? How do I get faster? Then, then for a while, we focused more on effectiveness. How do I, how do I deliver a better, better deal, right? More, I'll call better experience for the customer. And now this last year, we recognize the importance of resilience because <laughs> anytime we went to the grocery store, we were reminded that there were certain issues in, in the grocery store. For the most part, we did a good job, but missing little things like toilet paper, or in my case, I need to Diet Coke, that those were noticeable gaps in, in our resilience. We don't want that to happen again. I always feel like though, Scott, you guys have an advantage because you're from Florida. You get to practice you get to practice your resilience about once a year when the, the storms roll in. We're in countdown mode now for hurricane season. It'll be upon us very, very quickly. So we do get a lot of practice around that. You know, I think one of the biggest things for us is, that speaks to the organization is we're a 102-year-old company. We've seen a number of cycles. We've seen the booms. We've seen the bust. We've seen what's happened out there in shifts and in customer habits and industries coming and going, but leveraging that experience, but also having that in our DNA of being very entrepreneurial and going out and trying new things and creating new services and products helped us to navigate through that at the same time. So I'm going to summarize this real quick. Then I want to get your final thoughts. And before you shove off, I want to hear a little bit about how we talk to you over at Sadat. So we're talking about the logistics of customer experience, and we talked about the need for technology. You need it. It's not. It's not the. It's not the whole picture, but it's it's a good starting point. Then we need the people. We need the people to be there, and we have to take good care of them. We have to take care of their health and safety, their well being. Otherwise, they won't take care of the customer. Next, you need resources. You need the trucks and the warehouses and the resources that allow your people to be successful. And then the culture. We just talked about that. Important to have that culture. Otherwise, a lot of things go wrong. And then last but not least, we got to be resilient. So final thoughts on this topic before you start talking a little bit about Suddeth. Joe, you're a pro. I think you summarized it very, very well. And there's no single element of it. I think that's important from our conversation is it's not a one size fits all. There's not one silver bullet. It's silver buckshot. There's multiple different elements of the strategy of how you deliver excellent customer service and, and, uh, and the cus- deliver upon the customer experience. So if we continue to, to focus on those things and respond to our customers and listen to what they're asking for and helping protect them from their themselves sometimes, then I think we'll all be okay. Right. So, Tell us a little bit about Sadath. Who do you guys serve and how do we reach out to you guys? And are you speaking at any conferences? Well, hope I don't know. Maybe you're going to conferences starting now, but tell us a little bit about how we can reach out and learn more about you guys. Yeah, you can, you can find us, of course, at Sadath.com. That's uh, our primary web, corporate website. From engaging us, our, our physical network is out there and, and available on the website. And we are opening back up again and welcoming customers back in again. And that's one of the, the great benefits of getting vaccinations out there in the marketplace and opening some of our markets back up, which we all need to see happen. We're always open to engaging directly with new customers or existing customers physically. So excited to see that happening again. As far as any conferences that are coming up, that's one of the things that we're uh, still waiting to see if those conferences are actually going to be in person. We stay very engaged on the virtual front right now, but I think there's still a number of the markets we operate in that we're that's okay that we are you know, still on a bit of a pause 
Right. So who do you guys serve? Who are your main uh, market segments? I know, I know it's a big company. <laughs> it is, you know, the, the commercial segment, the, our workplace services division, I mean, we're very heavily invested in our technology partners that are out there that are leveraging our workplace services where we're on site on their campuses every day. Yeah, that's where we are managing the logistics of moving their employees. Just imagine clients who have significant campuses of not 10 or 12 buildings, it's 70, 80, 100 different buildings in their campus. And as their employees are transitioning through their career and moving to different divisions, and so we're doing that physical move, and that's part of that customer experience and keeping them engaged. So it's their workplace services. It's an extremely important component. And now in this COVID era, physical distancing or social distancing, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but it's even more important. And we play a critical role in that regard of managing the logistics of the internal logistics, as you, as you put it. Yeah. So what are the other, what are the other market segments you guys focus on? You know, very heavily owned uh, fulfillment and e-commerce because that continues to grow. We have significant customers in that space. Our contract logistics and warehousing operations, international freight forwarding, home delivery, home delivery, home delivery, you know, continues to grow and expand. Final mile delivery services for some of our commercial customers in the retail restaurant space. Uh, very heavy in the uh, the hospitality segment as well. So, and then international local and interstate household goods, which is really what the business was, was founded on 102 years ago. And that's, that's moving people, homes? That's moving people, moving people from their home, from home to home as they're navigating through their careers or, or through their decisions to scale up, scale down, or move, in, move, into, their, uh, move into their final retirement home. We're, we're there to help them navigate through that. You guys get do it do it all is what it sounds like. So now you have your own trucks. Do you are your trucks available to others, or do you use them all for your for your business? Uh, they're generally dedicated to to our business, so it's not necessarily a for hire transportation operation. They're generally dedicated to servicing that network that I just referenced. I like it. I like it. Well, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll put a link to Sadath, the website, and then uh, anything that Haley gives me, I will put in the show notes. And thank you so much for taking the time, Scott. Joe, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 